Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints and all the towns in all the world, he walks in a mind. Why is rum always Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's a trap! Hey guys, welcome to the Celluloid Fiends podcast. As always, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And you know what? We'd also appreciate if you went to the iTunes store or Google Play podcast addict wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe as well as leave us a rating and leave us a review you can follow us on twitter at celluloid fiends as well as on facebook at celluloid fiends and you can follow me mo long at mitchell c long on twitter and instagram or at cupofmo.com where you can read my reviews of films and a lot more and as always i am joined by my wonderful co-host What's up, celluloid fiends? It's Gabo Artel. If you want to go ahead to Facebook and give us a like, that would be just fantastic. And tonight we are talking about the revered childhood classic known as Mac and Me. So this movie came out in 1988, and it was directed by Stuart uh, Raffle. It had a budget of $13 million and made a measly $6.4 million at the box office it currently holds an impressive zero percent critic rating on rotten tomatoes with a 38 percent audience score and you know i gotta say i felt the zero percent was a little harsh it wasn't that bad i don't think this movie is that bad at all i think this movie deserves more credit where credit is due i i agree so this movie is very similar to E.T. The plot goes as such. A NASA spacecraft lands on some undisclosed planet to collect soil and rock samples, but it ends up picking up a lot more than just sediment. The craft sucks up four aliens before it heads back to Earth. And upon its arrival, the alien family escapes from a government facility but the youngest member of the family is separated from his parents and his sibling and ends up in a van owned by the Cruz family, which consists of Eric, his older brother Michael, and their mother Janet. And they're just moving to California from Illinois. Initially, only Eric believes that this alien exists and no one in his family can see it. But then he and his new friend Debbie, who's his next-door neighbor, trap the alien in a vacuum name the adorable little creature mac and eric michael debbie and debbie's sister courtney then proceed on a quest to reunite mac with his family and several coke products in mcdonald's restaurants oh yes lots and lots of product placement so gabe you pick this why did you pick mac and me because um, I wanted to do like a light-hearted sci-fi movie, and I remember this movie from when I was a kid. I remember going to Blockbuster, looking at the box, and I told my dad to let me rent it, and I remember liking it as a child, not knowing that this was blatant advertisements 
But I really didn't care. I thought it was funny. I thought there was heartwarming parts about it. And it, it's just a movie I hadn't seen in a while. And so the last time you watched this, you were a kid. Yes. Yeah, so this was my first romp. And I gotta say, I, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't really know a lot about it. Uh, I'd kind of heard rumors that it was an E.T. ripoff, and it kind of was an E.T. ripoff. And in fact, it's sort of like one part e- bargain bin E.T. story, and then one part just like extended commercial, mostly for McDonald's, but also Coke products and Skittles. Yes. Skittles was definitely not as much as the other two, though. No, but yeah, so so E.T. was munching on, what was it, Re- Reese's, Reese's Pieces. Pieces? Yeah. And so what Mac and Me does is it sort of swaps the Reese's Pieces for Skittles. Yes. And you know what? There was even, a, I feel like there was even product placement for Sears. Yeah, a little bit. Because the mom works there, and it very prominently shows in the background the Sears facade. And there's even that weird chase scene through the Sears, which it almost turned into like a Three Stooges sketch or or like Laurel and Hardy movie at that point. Um, Yeah. And then, and then of course the Coke products and Coke somehow revives the aliens. Yeah. Like the kids, the kids were like, Oh, it must be like what they drink on their own planet. Yeah. I uh, cue the, coke polar bear sitting on their home planet just <laughs> chugging a fucking coke <laughs> yeah but no i i think it was uh i think ultimately it was it was pretty heartwarming uh and even experiencing this in a, as an adult i think i appreciated it even though i didn't have the same nostalgia factor that you did for example like i just wanted to see if this movie stood the test of time and in ways it did in ways it didn't like it really didn't, I wasn't amazed by it like when I was a kid, but it definitely had its own niche and it didn't take itself too seriously. And I thought it was just a genuine good watch. Like, I'd watch it again, no problem. Yeah, same here. Uh, and the the backstory, the, the whole McDonald's element, I think is actually really interesting because the producer... R.J. Lewis had collaborated with McDonald's on some ad campaigns prior to the film being made. And some of the proceeds for the movie actually went to Ronald McDonald Children's Charities. So there actually was like a pretty solid and and respectable McDonald's tie-in. Right. But I do think at times it was a little blatant, especially with the character being named mac and then at the at the end during the end credits it says ronald mcdonald as himself himself. (laughs) 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 and uh yeah i feel like there were ways that you could have sort of watered that down a little bit like the sister courtney she worked at mcdonald's movie and she didn't need to wear her uniform around for most of the fucking movie. There was maybe only a, a scene or two where she was not wearing her McDonald's uniform. It was it was pretty blatant. And then there was, of course, the birthday party at McDonald's, which I 
don't remember going to any birthday parties at McDonald's. I remember going to birthdays at Pizza Hut, but when we were watching, I think you mentioned this was a thing. People had birthday parties um, there. In the 80s and early 90s, I do remember this. I'm a little older than all. So it was either me or one of my friends had a birthday party at McDonald's. And Ronald McDonald was there, and we got to play in a play place. And that it was all nice. But then again, unlike Mac and me, there was no choreographed dance numbers oh my god yeah that was one of the most entertaining and yet ridiculous moments in this entire movie yeah so they roll up to mcdonald's for this birthday party right and there's just this choreographed dance scene going on in the parking lot and inside the mcdonald's yeah and there were just there were so many details too there were I want to say they were like football players or, or something and there yeah, were there ballerinas was, was like people dressed as ballerinas and there was like three or four guys just in football uniforms i'm like what's what what's with the guys in the football other like hey we're football players and we're dancing at mcdonald's like i don't get it so yeah i i didn't i think i i think i sort of understood what they were trying to do maybe i'm giving mac and me way too much credit here and reading far too much into the scene but I suspect it was sort of slipping into the kind of ad mentality and trying to posit McDonald's as the hit place to go for any occasion, whether it's your birthday or after your dance recital or after the big game or whatever. But even after playing a football game, they usually go in the locker room and change their clothes. They don't they don't go in their uniforms to McDonald's. No, it, it made no sense. And random people aren't just joining the choreographed dance number. No, they're not. But, you know, this reminded me, actually, that scene reminded me a little bit of Teen Witch. Have you, have you seen Teen Witch? I have not seen Teen Witch. But you've probably at least heard of it. And there's one very infamous scene. It's the, it's the top that scene where these characters just randomly start rapping and yeah, it sort of reminded me of that, where it's just a super random scene that was kind of took you out of the uh, the film a little bit. Because yeah, okay, I sus I had to suspend my disbelief because they're aliens. But yeah, you know, I can accept aliens. I can accept extraterrestrials. But choreographed dance numbers in the parking lot at McDonald's. It was a bit much. Yeah, that, not that to mention, was a bit much. Not to mention, Mac is also in a teddy bear costume, and he's doing dance moves, too. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, we need to talk about this teddy bear costume. I think it was it was because uh, the uh, Eric was the he was a uh, Chicago Bears fan. It was, a, it was a Cubs mascot. That's what it was. Okay. It was a Cubs mascot. He had stuffed Cubs mascot, and they had to hide Mac, and they put... they. Took the stuffing out of the 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 stuffed animal, put Mac inside, and then they brought Mac to the party. And but the mother's like, "Oh, your teddy bear is moving around." He's like, "Oh, he's one of those fancy new computer teddy bears. He just got a new microchip." And that's how they kind of danced around that one. Yeah, that scene. First of all, the the bear costume is just the stuff of nightmares and it almost looked more like a rabbit but then this is a recurring theme throughout the entire film adults and parents are just so oblivious 
oh, to yeah. everything. So at the beginning of the movie, when Mac first shows up, the family wakes up, and the mom is super pissed because there are all these trees and bushes and stuff in their living room, and she blames the kid, Eric, who's in a wheelchair. And for one, no one would have been able to get that many trees inside without help. Right. But two, did she expect that he just got up out of his wheelchair and dug all the bushes and trees up and brought them inside? It it made no sense. I I don't think it would be easy for a kid not in a wheelchair to do this. The kid was like maybe eight, nine years old. This kid is not picking up trees. This kid is not bringing in whole bushes. He's not any kid that age is not capable of doing that within a six hour span because that's about the time that six to eight hour span that's the the sleep time. Yeah, I mean that would have been a, a lot of work for an adult, much right. less a kid. So yeah, I I don't know I don't know what she was thinking. She was like, Eric, how can you do this? This was so horrible, and he's just standing there in his he's he's sitting there in his wheelchair. He's like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> well, like, I could fucking do this, ma. Come on. There's a little guy wandering around our house. Listen to me. She's like, oh, you're just being stupid. You're trying to make excuses. But, you know, I did really appreciate that his character was a, just, he was a kid. Right. That happened to be in a wheelchair. wheelchair. I, I think, actually, this is some of the best representation of someone in a wheelchair in a film because like that didn't define his character at all and actually the actor himself uh, i think his name's jade calligory so he is in a wheelchair in real life so yeah i I thought that was that was really great that uh he actually uses a wheelchair in real life as opposed to i've seen so many movies where it's just an actor who doesn't need a wheelchair that's in a wheelchair right and I feel like this movie, this character, it could have been played with a kid not in a wheelchair. But I feel like there's a possibility that they put out a casting call for kids and they saw this kid act and they cast him as the, as the role and wrote the role around him. They had able-bodied kids, they had handicapped kids, everything. So I feel like the they didn't make the role for him. He made the role, which I think is amazing. It's kind of um, another instance I remember of this is um, I don't watch the show, but I know the character that Peter Dinklage plays on Game of Thrones was not supposed to be like it. Is not known that that in the books it's not known that they he's a little person. It casted him because his acting ability, which I think is fantastic, and I love the way they portrayed this kid in the, the movie. I think he was just a fun-loving kid. Yeah, I I really liked his character, and I thought he sort of brought that character to life a lot. I don't think he was necessarily given like a ton of emotional material. And that's just something that I don't think there's a lot of in the film, emotional material. But, yeah, I I thought he gave a very compelling and inspired performance as this kid. 
and by the end of the film you're just as the audience member you're rooting for him right the whole time uh yeah so i i thought he did a great job and kind of carried the, the whole thing but you know what without that wheelchair we wouldn't have had one of the best moments not just in mac and me but in all of cinematic history which is the infamous wheelchair off the cliff scene so he's uh eric sees mac and he's chasing after him trying to find him and he loses control of his wheelchair and goes flying off of a cliff and lands in a lake and it's one of the funniest scenes actually when we were watching it i think rewound so we could watch it again because it's just it's not like the slow-mo dramatic fall it's just like a really blurry fall and you see this little blip like, in ah! front of a cliff. <laughs> and then and then Max saves him. Yes, which is very nice. But I, I've seen people use this in like memes and stuff like that. Like the kid falling out in, in the wheelchair off the cliff. I've seen it before. I forgot that it was from Mac and me. <laughs> but um, I think they could have done a little better with like, I don't think it was meant to be as funny as it was, but it came off as the funniest part of this movie. 100%. Yeah, I agree. I think it was supposed to be mostly dramatic with a little bit of comedy, but I don't think it was intended to be as laugh-out-loud hilarious as it was. But I don't think they realized back in the 80s how cynical our generation would end up being in 2019 it's like i think in the 80s they felt like oh no the kid fell off the cliff that's so people were more compassionate back then now people are a little bit more cynical and they can see the funny the dark humor in that it's like oh look at the kid in the wheelchair fall off the cliff but you know even even in spite of any cynicism it's really hard for this to be a dramatic moment because you know they're not going to kill the kid off <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. You know he's not going to die. You know the alien's going to save him. So it was, yeah. It, it to me it didn't have the dramatic tug that it that it could, it have. could have because it was like, all right, this kid's not drowning right now. He's going to be just fine. Little alien will save him and he'll dry off. It'll well, be okay. One of the things I. I... I really loved about the character of Mac is that he's never quite silent and whenever he runs away he just whistles away he's like <laughs> 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 and I thought that that was a very funny aesthetic of all of them because uh, all the aliens like they communicate through whistling which I think is interesting but the way Mac carries himself is so hilarious. Yeah, and even the even the character design was just very comedic with sort of the semi-surprised look on his face the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. And you know, in some ways I actually think this movie was kind of self-aware cuz like at the end there's even a reference to one of the characters makes a reference to uh, I think it was. I think it was the brother. Um, yeah, I think it was Michael. He made a reference to 
Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I think this was sort of self-aware in, in a way. It definitely doesn't take itself too seriously. No. So, we talked a little bit about how this film has been memefied. Is this a cult film? Um, there's been a few movies that have been like this since we've started doing this podcast, Mo. And the last episode that the movie was like this, I think... It's getting there. Yeah, I I have similar I have similar thoughts. I don't think it's I don't think it's quite a cult film, but I think it has the trappings of a cult film. And I think it's I think it's maybe even closer than I think it was Life Force we were talking about yes. where I asked if it was a cult film. I think this might even be closer than Life Force, just with some of the memes because even uh, in, in, just uh, in the week after we watched Mac and Me. There is a push to storm Area 51, and someone posted, uh, Gabe sent this to me, a picture from Mac and me of uh, the little kid, Eric, holding Mac and rushing down the street in his wheelchair, and it says, like, me with my alien running away from Area 51. (laughs) And uh, apparently, I think it's on, like, Conan... Paul Rudd and uh, Conan have like some joke about Mac and me. I don't know about that. Yeah, there's apparently some joke about it where I think it's like whenever Paul Rudd has a new movie out, Conan asks if they can see a clip of it. But every time he just shows the clip of Mac and me, the wheelchair <laughs> off the cliff seat. So, yeah, it's like it's a movie that's being memefied. The people that I've talked to about it. I'm sorry, I'm still laughing at that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so like I think it, I think it's on the way to being a cult film, but I just I don't think it's there yet. I think we should get this movie a, sh- a shout factory release. I think it will do just fine. I think we get this a couple screenings. It'll get a couple laughs. I think we could. I think with that, even maybe we can start getting the, some of these kids to the convention circuit. I I, I, I want their autographs. Uh, there already is a Shout Factory release. Stop it. There is a Shout Factory Blu-ray release of Mac and Me. Really? Yeah. Does that have special art? No. Maybe? No. I don't think so. No. But it does have some bonus features, including an audio commentary with the director and co-writer as well as film historian Mark Edward Huke. It has that little Mac in the sky an interview interview with Stuart Raffle. Okay. Huh. All right. Well, it has some cool bonus features. You know, I might I might actually have to pick this up. This this sounds pretty sweet. How much are they charging you for it on uh Shop Factory? It is nineteen dollars. That that's a pretty reasonable price. The celluloid teams has been presented by Shout Factory. Factory. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do hope this movie kind of continues its path to cult status because I, I do think it I think it deserves it. And yeah, you know what? It's it's a shameless ripoff of of ET in some ways, but. I do feel like there were some kind of original elements too. 
I feel like there was definitely more comedy in this movie than E.T. was a very serious movie. There was funny parts, but I definitely feel this took a more comedic, cartoonish tone than E.T., which was a nice, fresh viewpoint for a story like this. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and even uh, even the name Mac, yeah, okay, there's McDonald's, but it actually stood for Mysterious Alien Creature. So, I, I did like that. It sort of tried to make it a little less commercially, and I did think the fact that it was the whole family stuck on Earth was kind of a nice differentiating factor between this and E.T., as well as the aliens having superpowers because they can apparently heal or destroy things with their hands and maybe do other things. I don't know. They can also stretch really, really long. Like Michael Jordan's arm in Space Jam. Yeah. And... They can fit inside vacuums. Yeah. So, yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, it was almost like Who Framed Roger Rabbit sort of their cartoonish nature and uh yeah they were, i was just very interested in kind of their backstory and where they came from like what planet they were on but i don't think any of that was necessary and would have fit in well if they would have made the sequel you would have found that out mo oh boy yeah actually so that was one of my one of the minor gripes that i have is this movie was ballsy enough to at the end announce We'll be back. They announced a sequel at the end of this movie. <laughs> and you know what? I, I probably would have watched a sequel. But like, come on. Don't announce a sequel until you know how you performed at the box office. And this movie made, what, half, half, uh, of, the half of the budget? budget yeah. It made half the budget back? I mean, it's not quite, to return to Teen Witch, it's not quite that bad. Where that movie cost several mil and only made like 30k at the box office. But still, like this was a bit of a it was a bit of a flop. But clearly, it has found new life on home video. Tonight's episode sponsored by Shell Factory. <laughs> With that, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about Mac and Me. Okay, kid, let's get this gas contest going. He's here. What? Mac, he's in the tunnel. He is? I don't believe this. Yes. Debbie, what's going on? It's okay. Everybody thinks it's just a toy. Ugh. Hi, Michael. The thing I was telling you about, it's in the teddy suit. Oh, no way. He's so cute. Yeah, real cute. Listen, those guys were following us. They're here. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Just keep him dancing. They'll just think he's a teddy. Okay, pick up the bass. That's very good, Captain.
Discussing the revered childhood classic, Mac and Me. So one thing I touched on a little bit was kind of comparing this to Teen Witch. And I just really think there's a, a so bad it's good vibe that permeates this in a number of scenes. Like the dance scene in the parking lot and the wheelchair going off the cliff. But... Underneath some of that, I actually feel like this is a very well-made movie from a technical standpoint. Oh, like, yeah. Like, the, uh, I think the designs for the aliens, those were really well done. And I'd even say, this might be blasphemous to some listeners, but I'd say they were even on par with stuff like uh, like Gremlins or, or E.T. I thought that the effects were fairly well done. I know a lot of people would not agree with me, but I think that there's something to say for a movie that you still find entertaining with just no, like no CGI. It's still like it's still the aliens are still very interesting to look at. Absolutely, and. The soundtrack was pretty solid. It had just some pop hits in there that I wasn't, I don't think I was too familiar with most of those. But one thing that really shocked me was during the opening credits, it had Alan Silvestri's name. And he's a very renowned composer. And I was kind of taken aback because most recently he's scored a number of the Marvel films, like most recently Avengers Endgame. But I looked at his filmography and here are a few films that he scored before he did Mac and Me. He did Cat's Eye, Back to the Future, Romancing the Stone, and Predator. Wow. Which, those were all pretty big movies that he did, which came out before Mac and Me. So it's not like he was some unknown dude. Doing shitty movies. Exactly. And, you know, no offense to anyone in this, in this movie, but I don't think I n- knew many actors from this except... 
you i think it was you who said this perhaps there's a little kid in the car in a car at the beginning who's in salute your shorts i think he was also in terminator 2 i think yeah you're right he was so you looked that up and he was that kid yeah it was that kid so i thought i thought that was kind of cool but yeah apart from apart from that little kid who was in one scene at the beginning most of the other actors and actresses in this movie I, i wasn't familiar with at all so i just thought it was neat that you had alan silvestri scoring this movie that I mean, it had a decent budget, but I don't think this was like a huge release at the time. No. I think he was just trying to capitalize off of E.T.'s success, but in a more comedic fashion and try to promote some uh, some corporate sponsors and maybe give some money to the Ronald McDonald House, which I don't think is necessarily a horrible thing. No, I think it's a, that's an admirable uh, quality, and I, I didn't realize that going in. But I, I do wanna I do wanna talk about the end because we keep discussing how comedic this is. So the end has this scene which starts out really funny, but kind of turns dark where the alien family is mistaken as holding up a grocery store. So the cops show up and there's a shootout. A gas station ends up blowing up, and Eric dies. So when we watched the movie, I was really confused how Eric ended up dead. And I assumed it was just the explosion nearby. Well, that's because the cut of this film that is most widely released nixes a scene where you see Eric getting shot. (laughs) It is in the Japanese VHS release, apparently. And it's not even like... It is blatant. I've seen the cut of the movie, and he's basically rolling towards the situation, and then a cop shoots him in the chest, and he's dead, and he's still rolling. Yeah. So it it yeah it, it was kind of subtle. Like even if you're watching the the Japanese VHS release, you could totally miss that scene, that little segment. But I just was kind of taken aback when i saw that clip i ended up just like googling it and, and found it online because that was kind of ballsy to actually show a kid getting shot like most movies won't show a kid getting killed even though you knew when he was dead that that he was going to be brought back to life i think that they added that obviously probably for ratings purposes oh yeah because if they would have showed that, it could have, it could have amped up the G or PG rating to easily, easily, uh, PG thirteen or R. Yeah, because I I want to say this was PG. It was PG. Yes. Um. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that would have kind of bumped it into a PG thirteen, and they were very heavily targeting families with this this yes. was, this was intended as a family picture yeah but i feel like there were a lot of laughs in there for adults too oh yeah case in point although with our maturity levels i, I don't know if we're the best examples yeah. to use there <laughs> but yeah that was that was just a very surprising scene for me and then i feel like the end though slightly jumps the shark 
a little bit with them becoming American citizens. Yeah, it just sort of like transitions from they saved the kid to the aliens are becoming American citizens and driving. Yeah, the father alien is now driving. It looks like some type of convertible. And they're like going on a family vacation. So what what would the sequel have been? Would it been would it have been like the Griswolds, but aliens that don't talk and just whistle and drink coke? You got me sold. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I I would have watched. I I don't love the sequel to this. I would have watched it. The other question is though, would it have still been sponsored by McDonald's or would it have been Taco Bell? I don't know. I think Burger King is definitely something that was popping during that time, too. I don't know. Maybe in the sequel, all restaurants are now Taco Bell. Mm. They know what to do with the three seashells. Demolition Man jokes never get sold. Nope. That movie actually, I think, is just tragically underappreciated. It's just, it's really quirky. And you know what? I will watch anything that, uh, I will watch anything that Snipes is in. And actually, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I think the director of Mac and Me, I think, I want to say he actually worked on in some capacity uh passenger 57 really yeah let me let me double check i'm gonna fact check myself here so his filmography includes yeah as a as a screenwriter he was a screenwriter for passenger 57 because i'd never heard of this guy before and i was trying to movies did he work on uh so he worked on the Tinder Warrior, Napoleon and Samantha, The Philadelphia Experiment, The Ice Pirates, Passenger 57. And then besides Mac and Me and Passenger 57, the only other movie that I watched that he either pinned the screenplay for or directed was the ABC uh, wonderful world of disney movie the new swiss family robinson i have heard of that i watched that back in the day i think it was like eight and i actually i liked it then but did he direct or did he just, he just penned that no he directed it and wrote the screenplay but i was really impressed when i found out he did the screenplay for Fa- passenger 57 because i think that's a, a genuinely good film oh yes but pretty much everything else in this list was something i hadn't even heard of except i I think i knew about the philadelphia experiment which he directed as well but that's about it Uh, i'm kind of surprised that he didn't go on to do more films i feel like mac and me was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back maybe except he he did the screenplay for passenger 57 After. after that and of course, yeah, I, th- I think you probably are maybe correct about Mac and Me because prior to Mac and Me, um, some of the movies that he worked on, it seemed like had a pretty decent critical reception. Like the Philadelphia Experiment was the winner of the Best Science Fiction Rome International Film Festival and won an award for Best Film 
at Fanta Festival. But then Mac and Me is also an award-winning film. Did this win a Razzie? It won a Golden Razzie for Worst Director, and it uh, apparently tied with Blake Edwards of Sunset. And it was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Screenplay. Wow. I gotta say, I don't think it was that bad. I don't think it... I don't think this movie is necessarily Razzie worthy. Uh, nor do I. I mean, I, I, it has its flaws. It has its glaring oh, flaws. Oh, yeah, but I don't think it's Razzie-type flaws. So what do, you, what do you think the problem was? Because I, I, have a, I have a guess. I feel like it came out too close to E.T. I feel like people were kind like, it was obvious of what it was. They were like, well, am I going to go see an E.T. ripoff? Yeah, uh, apparently he wanted this to, uh, he wanted Mac and me to be sort of the next generation's E.T., which didn't really make a lot of sense because E.T. just came out like six years before that. Right. So that really didn't make a lot of sense. E.T. was that generation's E.T. I think if if they'd been spaced out a little more, that would have helped. I think if the plot had been a little bit different and not basically followed almost the exact same plot as E.T., that would have contributed to maybe a, a better critical and audience reception. And then the I think the other quality that probably really hurt this is just all the product placement. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I think knowing that some of the royalties did go to the McDonald's Foundation does kind of give it a bit more context. But, but still... It was very heavily. It was. It was. I'd almost call it a propaganda film in some ways. Especially, I know we keep on talking about McDonald's, but Coke was in this movie just as much, if not more. I actually think Coke was in this more, and and Skittles. But it just. It very much felt like all the none of the product placement was very subtle. Right. It's like he likes Coke. Coke it must be like what he drinks on his planet. Here, give him a Coke. I'd like to give their world a Coke. <laughs> yeah, and even uh, in the in the third act, the aliens, the alien family is revived with Coke. Yes, it it literally saves them. So yeah, I felt like that was a little heavy-handed. And this, you know, in in some ways, it's almost like the anti they live. It's like they're not even trying to hide the the subliminal buy Coke, buy McDonald's messages. They're just very straightforward about it. You don't need any special sunglasses to nope. see the buy Skittles, eat more Skittles, taste the rainbow. Well, there was even a scene where the older brother, he like he like puts his sunglasses on and he sees Mac and then he takes them off and Mac's not there anymore. Yeah, and I think when that when that happened, I even said is this a They Live prequel? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I think if if it had been a little less propaganda heavy, if the plot had differed some from E.T. and if it had come out a bit later, I think it probably would have fared better. I actually did. I read that some of the ways that it, 
Makami tried to distinguish itself from E.T., uh, one of the ways was by having the aliens have these like healing powers and destructive powers. But I feel like that's kind of like when Vanilla Ice said, no, this is a different beat than Under Pressure. It has the, theirs is doom, 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 doom. And mine is doom, 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 doom. It's like they added one thing and they were like, it's a little different. Right. But yeah, because it's just like, it's a well-made film. The, the score is great. It is both intentionally and unintentionally comedic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. It's not. It, it, this is not Razzie-worthy. Come on, guys. Uh, yeah, I, 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 think it, uh, I think it deserves new life. And, and hope it gets that. Let's give Mac and me another push, guys. Let's try to get this, get this a steelbook, some new artwork, and get it into showings. And get these actors on the convention circuit. Let's do it. And you know what? You can't even take my praise as the nostalgia factor. Because I never watched this film as a kid. I didn't experience this until uh, right before we watched this episode. Uh, we recorded this episode. So, yeah. I'm, I'm giving a very unbiased opinion here. I'm not looking at it through any rose-colored glasses. Right. Like me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also not looking at it through any they live glasses. <laughs> so why don't we rate this bad boy? All right. Do it up, Mo. So I am going to give this movie, I'm going to give it a 3.5. Uh, I, I definitely think it has its issues. It's kind of cheesy in places. And it, it does have some plot holes. Notably, just how dumb all the parents are, like, uh, thinking that the kid was the one who put all the plants in their house, or, like, the teddy bear. The choreographed dance scene was just a bit over the top. It has a little too much product placement, but... I thought the, the little kid, as Eric, I thought he did a phenomenal job. Gave a stellar performance. I thought Alan Silvestri did a fantastic job scoring this movie. And I do, I feel like there was enough comedy in this, both intentional and unintentional, to really set it apart from E.T. So I, I almost enjoyed this more than E.T. for that reason. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great movie. It's not perfect, but I think it, it kind of has that teen witch, so bad it's good charm to it. Mo, I'm just going to give this a smidge more than you. I'm going 3.7 out of 5 stars. This movie has a nostalgia factor to me. That's why I want a little more. I think I pretty much agree with you on everything that you just said. I think that this movie is funny intentionally and unintentionally. I think that the special effects were done well. I think there is blaring flaws. But after... Over 30 years of this movie being out, I think it's time for this movie to get a revival. And I think that I can overlook some of the blaring concerns in this movie and, and really enjoy It's definitely rewatchable. I would watch this movie again. Yeah, you know, this is the kind of movie that I would just put on on like a rainy day or if I'm just not feeling well or something. Right. 
Yeah, because, you know, the plot's pretty predictable, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all in this situation. Because like, it's, it's not about having a mystery between points A and points B. It's about this kind of slapstick comedic journey. Right. It's not about the result. It's about the journey. Oh, yeah. And one thing that actually surprised me was this was in Orion Pictures production. Yes, it was. And when I saw the Orion screen at the beginning, when we sat down to watch this, I was really confused because I just associate Orion with a bunch of horror movies that I used to watch back in the day, like, what, Child's Play? Yeah. Yeah. And Orion did recently make a comeback, which I've been really pleased with. Yes. Uh, And I, I think some of their stuff has been great. Did they do the new Child's Play? Yes, they did. Okay. And I still haven't seen that. Uh, they also did The Prodigy, which is pretty good. Yeah, uh, this movie's it's pleasantly surprising. If you haven't seen Mac and Me, we highly suggest you go see it. And if you've seen it before, it is totally worth revisiting. Oh, yes. Well, that's our show for tonight, guys. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't done so, hit us up on itunes or wherever you source your podcasts and subscribe leave us a rating leave us a review it really helps us out you can go ahead and follow us on facebook and twitter at celluloid fiends you can follow me at mitchell c long on twitter and instagram and you can check out my film reviews and much more at cupofmo.com if you also want to go to our facebook page and give us a like that would be fantastic for the celluloid fiends, I'm Gabriel Orto, and 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 th- that was Mo Long. And remember, celluloid fiends, the truth is out there. <laughs>